0: Get your Bible and turn with me, uh, or click, most of us click nowadays, you can turn or click to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and I'm beginning a new series of thoughts, if you will, that I called Freeing Me, Freeing Me. And if I could kind of tag this series, um, I would have tagged it, Becoming My Best Self, Becoming My Best Self, and Living My Best Life. And really that is, that's my passion. Um, That is, that's one of the things that drives me. I want to live my best life. Like I don't want to just survive because there's an empty tomb that says I can thrive, right? I don't want to just get through it. I want to triumph all the way till the end. You, You understand what I'm saying? And so I don't know about you, but I don't like surviving stuff. I like winning, You know, and and so I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want to live my best life. I want to reach my potential. I don't want to get to heaven and find out that that I left anything on the table. That's the way that I want to live. And because I'm that way, that's what I want for every person that I come in contact with. And so if you're at this church, whether you want to live your best life or not, I'm going to drag you and and drag you and drag you. Because I'm going to think if you're here, you must want to live your best life too. How many want to live your best life? Does want to live their best Yeah. So that's just the assumption I make. Like, man, instead of sleeping in or doing something else today, you're here. You must want to live your best life too. So let's just, let's just go at this together. Does that make sense? And, and so um, that's, that's my passion. Like, I, I really want to live um, my best life. And, and what I know is that I know um, from experience what it's like to know the me that I can be, but not be that version of me yet. So I know what it's like to say, here's, here's where I am, but God's called me to be here. And, and there's, there's a chasm, there's a difference. Did y'all come to be honest today? Are we going to be honest or are we going to be churchy? All right. I mean, we re- be religious y'all want to, saying just as I am, go home, or we can be churchy. All right, so I know what it's like to not be the me God created me to be. Does that make sense? And, and it sucks. It's just terrible, right? And so I, that's, that's for me. I'm like, oh, I want to be my best self. I want you to be your best self. Because here's the thing. Like, if you're not your best self, you can't live your best life. Because the reality of who you are will determine the reality and the quality of the way you live. Does that make sense? And so for me, I want you to live your best life because I want to live my best life, and so I want to do a series that kind of propels us towards living our best life. So we're going to start in John chapter 4, and this is the passage where Jesus goes to a well in Samaria to meet a woman who uh, comes to the well. And most people call it the woman at the well. And uh, if your Bible kind of has a subheading, that's probably what it is. And so John chapter four, verse three, it says, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't really have to, but he was on a mission. Um, he actually went out of his way, to, but he was on a mission. So verse five, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So that's about noontime. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into uh, Chick-fil-A to get some Jesus chicken. And, there's... <laughs> and the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So there's a racial issue there. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You get a convenience store, smart water, what is that? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from itself and also his sons and daughters and livestock? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty and come back to this well anymore. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And now the one that you have is not your husband. What you said is true. I'm going to stop right there. I called this message changing wells, changing wells. And I think that if you're really going to be who God created you to be, For most of us, if not all of us, it's probably going to require that we change our wells. We change our wells. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. And first, we'll start with this idea of thirst. Um, This woman comes to the well, the reason most people go to wells. Why do you go to a well? You're thirsty, right? There's water. And so culture custom, here's what they did back then. They got their water pots and every day they went to the well and they fill the water pot, and then they go back home, and that's their water because they're thirsty. And then the next day, after they've drank all of that, they go back to the well, they fill the water pot, and then they go back home, and the cycle. The only reason you go to a well is because you're thirsty. And so here this woman comes to a well, much like she did every day, because she's thirsty. And now here Jesus is sitting at the well. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you give me something to drink? And she's like, hey, you got two problems. The first problem is, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan. And we don't drink after each other. Right? And the second problem is, the well's deep. And you don't have a bucket and a rope. <laughs> And then Jesus turns the conversation and he says, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. And now we find out that Jesus didn't go to this well because he was thirsty. (laughs) He went to this well because she was thirsty. See, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't show up in your life because he needs something from you. Jesus shows up in your life because he wants something for you. He doesn't show up because he's thirsty. He shows up because you're thirsty. And he says, Hey, if you'd asked me, I would have given you living water and you wouldn't be thirsty anymore. And she says, Hey, I, I want to drink out of that well. How do I drink out of that well? And Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. And she says, see what had happened was. <laughs> like, uh, uh, she, it's like, I- I'm not married. And he's like, you're right. You're not married. You've had five husbands and now you got a thingamajig. You rightly said, what's Jesus doing? What's he doing? Why is he asking that question? Because she's thirsty. Could we admit we're all thirsty? Now, here's where you're going to have to get free. Religious people pretend they're not thirsty. Uh Oh, I'm not thirsty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, How many selfies you need to post on social media? (laughs) I'm not thirsty. Why are you get mad? Because they didn't like your post. You know, if you live by their validation, you're gonna die by their criticism. I'm not thirsty. Why are you keep texting her? I'm not thirsty. Why are you still got his number in your phone? I'm not thirsty. How many pots of bluebell are you gonna eat? I'm not thirsty. Why are you pushing your kids so hard to do something you never did? I'm not thirsty. Why would you buy a house you can't afford? Who are you trying to prove what to? See, we're all thirsty. And what Jesus said is this woman's like, hey, I'm thirsty. And Jesus is like, you're thirsty because you're drinking from the wrong well. And so Jesus is just saying, go call your husband. Why? He's just pointing out what her well is. Now, right about here, I can say time out because all of us say, yes, this poor little woman, she was lost and she was a sinner. And this is Jesus' evangelistic attempt to bring healing to this lady of Samaria, Samaria, and that is so wonderful, and that is so awesome, and praise God for that. But I stopped before we read verse 19 because if you read verse 19, it says she said to him, "I perceive that you're a prophet." And say no, oh, I'm familiar with the Spirit. I'm familiar with prophecy. I'm I'm familiar. With prophets. Then she goes on to say, You know, my folks, they worship at that church. And all of a sudden you find out, This is a church lady. Oh, wait, church people can't be bound. Huh. You ever met them? Church people can't have bondage. She's a church lady. She's got five husbands and a thingamajig. She said, oh, I attend that church. And you attend that church. Um, Did you know it's possible to be a believer and be in bondage? Now, see, religious, religious people, they have a problem with this. Because religious people can't have anything wrong with them. So what we do is, even though we spend all week drinking from the wrong wells, on the weekend we put on our Sunday best and come to church and tell everybody there's only one well that satisfies us. If you don't understand grace, you can't get free. Because if you don't understand that you can be a believer and still be struggling with things, And that doesn't mean that you don't love God. It doesn't mean that you're not called. It just means you're thirsty for some wells that don't work. That's That's why religious people are the hardest people to get free because they can't admit they're in bondage. And if you can't admit you're in bondage, you can't be free. And if you think your behavior is what saves you and you can't admit that you got some behavior you don't really like, there's no chance of ever getting free. You just keep hiding the bad behavior, you put on the suit. You come to the church. The songs play. You lift your hands. You don't tell anybody you cussed your wife out on the way. Did y'all want to be real or just yes. kind of play church? Yes. Would y'all tell me what you want to do? John chapter 8, Jesus tells us something else. John chapter 8, um, Jesus is talking to some more church folks. And he says, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews. Now what's this. To the Jews who had believed, what verb tense is that? Past tense. So these are not Jews he's hoping will believe him. These are Jews who had already come to faith. They had believed Jesus was Jesus, right? He's the Christ. To the Jews that had believed him, it's church people, right? Everybody with me so far? And he said, if you hold, now watch, there's a process that, that religious folks mess up. To those who were believers, he said, if you'll hold to my teaching, then you'll be my disciples. So now there's a process. There's a believer and then a disciple. There are people that that hang out around the cross and people that take one up. (laughs) People that hang out at church. People who become the church. There's a process. They're all believers. Just some people take their next step. Those who believe, he said, hold to my teachings, you'll be my disciples. So now they're disciples. But he doesn't stop there. The process continues. Then you'll know the truth. Doesn't stop there. Then the truth will make you free. So he's talking to believers who are disciples and telling them they can be free. He's talking to believers who are disciples and telling them you're in bondage. Are you breathing? Yes. There's a process. Believe, disciple, know the truth. The truth will make you free. So you can't get free till you know truth. That's right. The truth doesn't make you free. It's the truth that you know that makes you free. And the truth that you don't know is what's killing you right now. Yes. Here's the interesting thing. in the the body of Christ, you're responsible for what you don't know. Because it's the truth you don't know that's not changing you. It's the truth you don't know that's costing you. Okay, I'll just keep going. See, here's where most people miss it. Salvation doesn't complete a process, it begins one. And and for some of you, you're like, no, wait a second. Yes, no. Okay, let me help you. You're three parts. Body, soul, spirit. Spirit, soul, body. Salvation completes a process in your spirit, it begins a process in your soul. So you, when you receive Christ your spirit is born again it it becomes alive it was dead and now it lives but you have a soul and a body that has the wrong thought patterns the wrong desires the wrong appetites it thirsts for the wrong things And salvation, while it completes a process spiritually, it begins a process in your soul. And if you don't understand grace, then you can't understand the immediate work of grace in your spirit and the progressive work of grace in your soul. And if you're going to be free, you're going to have to invest in a process and quit praying for a zap. Because, see, I was raised around people that the only thing that they really had to offer was a zap. And anytime you had a struggle, it was like, oh, my God, you've got sin. Let's just pray. And while I believe in prayer and sanctification by the Spirit of God, God doesn't always zap you every time there's something wrong. And I would say, based on my experience, the zap is the exception to the rule. Here's why. Do you remember what the Bible says? Trials produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And a zap relieves you of any responsibility to do anything about you. And a zap does not create any character in you. It just makes you a completely immature and helpless person. And as long as you keep blaming God because he hasn't zapped you, you're never going to take responsibility for your own life and let God produce in you character, which the Bible says brings hope. So maybe it's not all about a zap. Maybe it's about a process because your calling stands on your character and zaps don't build character a process builds character. And if you want to live in freedom, you have to surrender to a process. I'd love to tell you in my life, the bondages that I've had and the problems, I'd love to tell you, man, God, I just, you know, I went down for prayer, somebody just, God just zapped me and everything's over. It's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And that does happen. I, I mean, occasionally, you know, people stand up and say, you know, I was addicted and this, that, and that, and this. Man, somebody prayed for me and God just immediately set me free. And I hate those people. <laughs> With the love of the Lord. Because God didn't work that way for me. I had to submit to processes. I had to take in the humility. I had to, and I had to walk it out. But what God knows is calling stands on character. And he is more concerned about your character than your comfort. Because if your character cannot sustain your calling, you'll never walk in it for very long. And so this is why I tell people, invest in a process. Like, for instance, we do more things here than just three weekend services. And if you don't know that, this is your orientation if you've never been to First Step. But I tell people, submit to a process. Like, uh, Barna, this is one of the surveys that, that I, I guess it burdens me a little bit. Because Barna Group, what they said is, now the average church attender attends church one time every six weeks. And that's not because they're not a Christian. It's not because they don't love God. There's no condemnation. That's just factual information. But here's what I know is you can't live free and live your best life getting a drink every six weeks. Like you can go to heaven and God loves you just the same and we love you just the same. No one's trying to condemn you or judge you or hate on you. That's not what this is about. See, remember what my passion is. My passion is about you living your best life, not just surviving. And what I know is you got, that's why I tell people, hey, will you take the 40 weekend challenge? How many weekends are in a year? 52. And what I say every time in first step, and I say it several times from here, hey, would you give this church 40 out of your next 52 weekends? And if you give this church 40 out of your next 52 weekends, your life's not going to be the same. And I know it won't because I've got many people who have come up and said, I'm on week 21 and my life's already changed. I'm on week 19 and our marriage isn't even the same anymore. I'm on week 23 and God is blessing my business like never before. I got plenty of those testimonies. So I know that works. Right? Invest in the process. Be there on the weekend. Hey, you know what else you should do? You should get on a dream team. We have over 300 people that serve on dream teams. Do you know that they don't have any fewer problems than you do? See, the happiest people are not the people with the fewest problems. They're the people with the greatest understanding of purpose, destiny, and calling because they have hope. If you really want to live free, you could do 40 out of 52 weekends and serve one weekend a month. And then you could get in a life group because you're never going to grow till you're surrounded by a community, to your own little spiritual family who supports you and cheers you on that you can talk about your issues with. And they're not going to judge you. They're going to accept you and they're going to love you. When I grew up, I had to go 50 weekends a year. Actually, 52. And we didn't go to one service. We had three. Not three on Sunday morning, not three on a weekend. We had Sunday morning, Sunday evening worship, Wednesday night Bible study and worship, and Saturday prayer to get ready for Sunday morning worship. And we didn't have Sunday morning worship. We had Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening. We couldn't get into sin. We didn't have time. And like with my parents, if I said, Dad, I don't feel good today. I don't think I can go. Son, get in the car. We'll pray for you on the way. We'll pray for you when we get there. <laughs> but Dad, all my friends are doing this. Get in the car. We need to go have prayer that your friends will get saved and they won't be missing church either. <laughs> that was the way I was raised, right? My God, if somebody was cleaning the church on Thursday evening, we got in our pew. We sang there was power in the blood. <laughs> and you know what happened? Most of the scripture I quote today, I didn't learn in Bible school. I learned in that church and when I'm in a message I'll start quoting a scripture I didn't learn it yesterday I learned that 30 years ago because we went dad had two weeks vacation a year so we went 50 weekends and then on the two weeks vacation we visited somebody else's church <laughs> and nowadays you tell people I'm trying to get you to come 40 and it's like my God man how saved do I need to be I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying not to go to hell I, you know, what's the deal with all this man This is about living your best life. It's about living your best life. That's my passion. You need to know if you're here, I'm going to be encouraging you and spurring you on because I think there's more in you than you know. I think you're called to something greater than you understand. And I think God's spirit has deposited something in you that somebody else needs. And for the rest of my life, I will pump you up, pump you out, kick you in the seat, whatever I got to do because I think you're worth it. That's why. And so anyways, anyways, Jesus said, hey, there's a process. Invest in the process. Now, religious people always have an answer for truth. Because you know how religious, remember remember God did something amazing in your heart and showed you a scripture and you put it on Facebook and some religious idiot put on that, well, you know, that doesn't mean exactly. In the Greek, you say that word, you know, shut up, man, I'm having a revival. You know what I'm saying? I mean, why, why have you got a, like whose team are you on, bro? You know, And so the religious people always have an answer. So they answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we should be set free? Somebody say, bless their heart. (laughs) Do you know anything about Jewish history? It wasn't that they weren't slaves to anyone. They had been slaves to everyone. (laughs) I mean, we either in the Bible, they were slaves to the Chaldeans, to the Babylonians, and I mean there's a list of people that had them in slavery. And at this point, they're under Roman authority and rule. They're slaves of Rome. See, religious people are not in reality. Right? Because remember, they don't understand grace and they can't separate soul and spirit. And if they're in bondage, that would mean they got to deal with condemnation and they don't understand that there's no condemnation when your spirit's right with God. And the reason God removes the condemnation so you can deal with the soul. Right? That's why religious people can't get free because it's like, well, I'm not free. There's condemnation. Well, condemnation comes from the law, not from grace. And we're under grace, not law. And grace says you're just as accepted when you're bound as when you're free. And it's actually his acceptance that starts the process of healing and restoration. Never been enslaved to anyone. (laughs) Bless your heart. See, you'll never be free indeed until you indeed can admit that you can be in bondage. You can't be free until you admit that you can be in bondage. Do you see how that works? Um, I know a lot of times when we talk about um, freedom ministry, and people say this, and they're well-meaning. I mean, they just don't know. And people say, man, I'm so glad we're teaching on freedom for the addicts. Man, the addicts need to be free. Addicts need to be free. All right. mm-hmm. Yeah? I hear what you're saying. The addicts, we do want the addicts free. But do you know what the word addiction, the synonyms for addiction are? Dependency and habit. What habit do you have that takes you away from God? It may not be crack. It may be brownies. With bluebell. Oh Jesus! I feel the spirit. <laughs> Rain down on me, Jesus. Hot fudge, Jesus. Take the wheel. Right? Um. <laughs> you know, here's here's the truth. Someone with a true chemical dependency, substance abuse. It's just their well is easier to see than your well, but you have one. Your well may be acceptance, and that's why you're on your 800th one-night stand. It's the same well, it's just harder to see. The word addict in the, uh, it comes from a root word, a Latin word. I'm not going to try to say it because I don't speak Latin. A little pig Latin, but as far as real Latin, (laughs) not so much. But the word in Latin actually means proclivity or inclination. Let me say it this way What are you bent towards? What are you bent towards? Because that's what, that's all an addiction is something you're bent towards. Uh, do you know why people are addicted? It's not because they want to be. 99.9% of the time, well, almost 100% of the time when they're on, they hate it. Do you know why they're addicted? Because they're in pain. And when it hurts, they run to that. What do you run to when it hurts? It may not be heroin, it may be the club. It may not be alcohol, it may be brownies. What do you run to? What are you bent towards? That's all it means to be an addict. And so when we're talking about freedom, it's not about addiction. It's about the, the bend the bending of our soul because of the fall of man. And that's what it's like. It's what it's like to be thirsty. And, and here's here's the thing, and then Jesus kind of clears it up. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now before I ask this question, you need to answer. It, you just need to understand. If you if you lift your hands, our ushers have tasers, they will use them. But who in here could say I've never sinned? And you'd raise your hand right now and say, I've never sinned. Good, that's good. It may have been fear, honesty, but either way, we're all guilty. And here's what he's saying: if you've got sin, you got, you got slavery. And here's the reason he goes on that see, is because now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Here's what he's saying. If you're a slave, it's costing you. Let me say it another way. If you're a slave, you're not experiencing the full benefits of being a son of God. It's not about salvation. It's about all the things God wants to do in your life. And that's why he goes on to say, so whoever the sun sets free, freedom comes by one person, through one person, from one person, who the sun sets free. That person will truly be free. So that's the thirst. Let's talk about the trap, because here's the problem. When I thirst for things, I get trapped by my thirst. Here's what Jesus said in in John 4, 13. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's looking at this woman. He's like, hey, as long as you, because here's how I think this, it started. She, she had some issues, right? And we all have issues. All God's children has issues. And if you think I don't have issues, that's your issue. <laughs> and when you go home, ask your spouse. They've got a list they've been waiting to share with you. <laughs> and, and so this one, I think she had some issues. And she thought, man, if I just get married, I'm going to be happy if I just get married. just get married. And then she got married. Said, oh, I'm oh, so happy. I feel, oh, it's so good. And then that wore off. Well, it must be something wrong with him. I've got, I got to find somebody else. I get me. Oh, this one's different. This one right here, he is so different from that one. I go, oh, I feel so much better. And then that one didn't work. Oh, this, but this guy right here, I found the problem. This guy right here is the one. And that didn't work. Maybe it's this one. And that didn't work. And then the fifth one, that didn't work. And then the last time, she didn't even get married because she knew it wasn't going to work. Can I tell you, that's the trap of the thirst is you keep running back to the same well thinking it's going to satisfy. See, the problem the problem weren't the men. I'm not saying they were good guys or bad guys. I've never met any of them. But knowing there were six of them, the problem wasn't the men. The problem was the bending of her soul and what she was trying to get out of them that they were not equipped to give her. Right. Let me say another. The problem was the selection process. Got quiet in here. Okay. Okay. Whispering's my favorite. (laughs) So here was the thirst, the first, the first thirst. In the garden, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and and there were these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. And God said You can eat of all the trees except this tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that one. If you eat of that one, it's going to kill you. Let me say it another way. You'll be trapped by it. And here's what God said. But you're going to be hungry. Let me say it another way. You're going to be thirsty. See, the problem is not that you're thirsty. The problem is you're trying to quench that thirst from the wrong well. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Righteousness for the right thing. The problem is not thirst. The problem is the well you go to. And so here Adam and Eve, and he's like, hey, if you drink of, of this one right here, this well of knowledge is going to kill you. You're going to be trapped by it. But you can have all of this one that you want. And then Adam decided, and Eve decided, in their, in their view, that life could be found in another tree besides the tree of life. And that was the tree of knowledge. Now, they were created by life, from life, for life. So they were created by God, who is life. They were created from life. God breathed life into them, and they became a living being. They were created for life to go take dominion, multiply, be fruitful. So they were created from life, for life, by life. Life was their fuel. Let me say it another way. God was their fuel. He was their source. Kind of like if I had an amplifier and I plugged it into a wall... The amplifier in and of itself can't do anything until it's plugged into a power source. When it's plugged into a power source, all of a sudden, it can do all these things. But what happens if I take the amplifier and and disconnect it from the wall and try to plug the amplifier into itself? Nothing happens because the amplifier was not created to be its own source. It was created to run from a power source. And when Adam chose the tree of knowledge over the tree of life, Adam disconnected from God and plugged himself into himself. And you can't know enough to live, to be alive. You can't know enough to be free. And the Bible, Romans 5 says that, Romans 5 describes the condition that was created not as sin, but as death. When Adam disobeyed, sin entered the world and death by sin. And death spread to everyone because we sin. What's the problem? Death, not sin. Behavior's not the problem. Behavior's what you're doing to try to be alive. Right? The men weren't the problem. It was that she was trying to get life out of them. What are you trying to get life out of? It might be a good question to ask at some point during this sermon, like, what well do I keep going to that I think is going to make me alive? And you can't, she was her own source and you can't be your own source. And so Jesus says, hey, uh, go get your husband. He's not being condemning, he's being loving. Because he knows this, until you identify the well that you keep going to, you can't get free of it. You can't change wells till you figure out the one you're running to. And so he says, go call your husband. What's he saying? He's like, hey, you need to understand this is because the first step in freedom is identifying your well. Until I really decide, okay, that's my well. That's the thing I'm trying to get life out of. That's the thing I keep going to. When there's a bad day, I go to that thing. When I'm hurting, I go to that thing. When there's a problem in my marriage, I go to that thing. When there's a problem at work, I go to that thing. That's the well that I keep trying to get life out of. And until you identify the well, you can't can't change wells. Until you identify the well, you're just trapped by it. Here's the last thing, though. So there's the thirst and the trap, but then there's satisfaction. And you need to understand that Jesus doesn't come to your life to take away your fun. He comes to your life to offer you fulfillment. And so Jesus comes to her and he confronts her well, not because he's trying to be judgmental or condemning, he confronts her well because he wants her to have something more. And he's letting her know, hey, that doesn't work. And I'm not here to condemn you, I'm just here to point out that that well doesn't satisfy. You can keep going back to it, you can keep clicking on it, you can keep calling and texting that person, you can keep making those brownies. And I'm not against brownies, by the way. Obviously. I'm not against bluebell either. I think baby angels make it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it makes a good well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so he just point out, hey, that's the well that, the well that you keep. Can I tell you that the only thing Jesus will ever limit in your life are the things that will trap you? When God said, don't eat of that tree, it wasn't because, man, that tree's going to be really fun and that tree's going to be awesome. And man, if you eat of that tree, man, you're going to have a great time, so don't eat of that tree. It's like when people say, well, I would follow Jesus, but if I followed Jesus, I'd have to stop this and give up that and stop this and give up that. Do you know what they're really saying? I'd follow Jesus, but I think this well gives me life and I think this well satisfies me and I think this well is more fun and I think this well. They're trapped. Because Jesus only limits what he knows will kill you. He's only pointing out that well to her because it doesn't work. How long do you want to do something that doesn't work? Is this about living your best life? And it is about living your best life. Then you got to abandon wells that don't work. And so Jesus doesn't come to take away funding. He, he comes to offer fulfillment. He said, everyone, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst because that water will become a spring in them. See, we were created, back up. So what's the problem? Most church people think sin is the problem. That's why they tell you they don't sin. And they need to be Holy. Sin's not the problem. Sin is usually what you try to get life out of. Death is the problem. Death entered the world through sin. Death's the bottom line problem. That's why when Jesus comes in John chapter 10, verse 10, and he gives his mission statement for his life, Jesus doesn't come, behold, I have come that you could act more churchy. I have come that you could have a Christian dress code. I have come that you could behave better. I have have come so that you would no longer get skull tattoos, but you would get cross tattoos. (laughs) That's not what he says at all. In fact, he doesn't even talk about behavior. He didn't even say, I've come that you could stop that. He says, I came that you would have life that would satisfy you. That you would actually drink from the well that you were created for. Because what Jesus knows is when you drink from the right well, it brings life to all of your body, and all of a sudden, all the other things start changing. What I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't come to her and say, hey, you need to stop with the men. He comes to her and says, hey, you need to start with me. Are you with me? He he didn't come to her. See, that had been a religious thing. Remember, religion? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. Well, I wish that would work. I'd have tried that on myself. Stop it. Okay. Woo, I'm free now because I told myself to stop it. Wouldn't that be awesome? I could write a book called Stop It One Chapter, One Sentence. Two words with an exclamation point. Stop it. <laughs> Woo, bestseller. <laughs> but that doesn't work because the problem is three parts. Three parts, right? Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, the work is complete. The Bible says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Spirit's perfect. But the soul's being changed. just being sanctified. And that's a process. And so stop it doesn't work. Be nice if it did. And so what Jesus says is, hey, hey, here's the thing. Here's where freedom begins. Identify the wells that don't work and start drinking from the well that does. Yes. That's where now is that gonna fix everything the first day? No. No, probably not. Probably not gonna be a zap. It's gonna be a process. Right? But here's what freedom looks like. Let's just say, for instance, When something happens to me, I have to eat a whole pan of brownies. I don't. It sounds good right now, but that's just because I'm hungry, right? But let's just say that's my well, brownies. Now, you know, there's a lot of things, but this one's kind of harmless and won't make anybody nervous. But here's the thing. Something happens, relationship, boss, whatever, kids. Next thing you know, I'm at home making a pan of brownies. I'm going to eat the whole pan. And next morning I'm gonna feel guilty and shame and condemnation because oh my gosh I get on the scale and oh, I did it again. <laughs> but what if you did this? What if you said, you know what? When I'm hurting emotionally, I eat aggressively. And what if you went to your life group and said, guys, here's the thing, I've got a problem, I've got a well, and the well's my brownies. And when I have a bad day, I eat a whole pan of brownies. guys, I need help. I need prayer. I need to overcome this. And so the next time that I have a bad day, before I go to the grocery store to get brownies, I'm going to call one of you and say, hey, will you pray for me? I need to learn to drink from the right well. Because right now I'm hurting and those brownies aren't going to make me feel any better. You can insert whatever you want for brownies. But it's the pattern's pretty much the same. And what if you did that? And you say, well, what if I mess up? What if you did? Then you call and say, man, I just ate a whole pan of brownies. Oh, man, I'm sorry you're hurting. What if we prayed and said, hey, let's try to drink from the right well. What does God want to put in you right now? It's a process of teaching my soul to find life in the thing it was created for. Yes. Instead of continuing a pattern that's just built around pain, and then it gets insulated by shame and guilt and fear and condemnation. And it's just a death spiral. And so Jesus said, Hey, you know what? And for those of you here, can I just be honest? The reason we have life groups is because if you're the only person who knows what your well is, you're trapped. You're trapped. Like I'm not trapped, then stop it. How long you been trying to stop it? How long you been clicking and saying I'll never click again? How many times you said that's the last one night stand? We better go back to brownies, huh? How many times did you say, that's the last fan of brownies? No, you're trapped. And have you ever tried to arm wrestle yourself? I mean, it's kind of funny to watch. But you know what happens? Well, I win. (laughs) Yeah, and you lose. And can I be honest with you? That when you try to use your willpower to get yourself free, you're strengthening the muscle that keeps you bound. Because freedom doesn't come by an act of your will, except that when your will surrenders. Freedom doesn't come because you need to be stronger and more tenacious and just try harder. That's what religion says. God's wonderful, you're terrible, try harder. And trying harder doesn't work because you are just entrenching yourself in your own tenacity, strength, and ability. When freedom doesn't come through your ability, it comes through your surrender. It comes when you call your life group leader and says, hey, I got to stop going to this well. It is not working for me that's what surrender looks like. And surrender looks like when you're hurt and you want to run to that well, you stop and you say, God, right now, you and I both know we need to be honest. I really want to go to that well. Like that well sounds really good. That well will make me forget my pain for at least a few hours that is the well I want to go to. But you and I both know on the other side of going to that well, it's just going to be a greater version of hell. And I don't want to go to that well. God, what do I need from you in this moment? That's where freedom begins. And that's what Jesus says to this woman. He says, look, you spent all of your life going to that well. And because you keep going to that well, you're still thirsty and you're still thirsty and you think that well can somehow quench your thirst so you just keep going back to that well and now you have a pattern that every time you get thirsty you just find a different guy and those guys can't actually make you feel alive and they can't actually quench your thirst but you are stuck in a cycle of trying to feel better about you by filling yourself with something that is not going to give you any life and Jesus is standing at this well not because that woman not because he's thirsty but because that lady's thirsty She just doesn't know the drink that she needs. And he's not condemning her. He's just saying, hey, that well doesn't work, but this well will. If you can abandon that well, and here's how you abandon that well, you start drinking at this well. And when you drink of this well, it creates a spring inside of you and life begins flowing through you. And that's why I came to Samaria, so you could change your well. That's good. Come on, make some noise. That's good. Change your wells. Awesome. How you stand up? I'm done. I got excited.